0: mm mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. I'm Travis Flock, and again, I'm joined by Travis Tyler and Ola for this episode. Uh, we come to you after a lot that's gone on in the footballing world uh, since our last recording that covered the win against City and the progression in the Champions League final. First and foremost, the footballing world was shattered, shook, and ripped apart for 48 hours after the consummation and subsequent decline and crumble and collapse of the European Super League, which saw 12 of Europe's biggest, you know, richest clubs around trying to break away and form their own monopoly on football. So what we're going to do is cover that and we're going to try to give any insight that we have on a Brighton match. But there is not much to say other than 22 men kicked the ball around for 90 minutes and left all of us. Worse off for watching it for 90 minutes. And then we will get into more most importantly, the massive result that had giant top four implications against West Ham, where the Blues went to East London and took down the Hammers. Uh, So first we will start um, talking about the ESL. I am not going to give my thoughts on this. I have written an article and it is on the Chelsea social. You can find it there. It is called An Ode to the Super League. So if you want to read my thoughts. And hear about them. I highly encourage you to go check out the website and just read the article. I have a lot to say about it, and it's mostly all covered there. Um, so first, I'll go ahead with you. Ola, I'll go ahead and you know give all the listeners out there your thoughts of all of these events that happened with the Super League starting, collapsing, all the implications, and and really, you know, what do you think about it?
1: I mean, first of all, it was really sudden. I mean, we one moment we we're thinking about the Brighton game, the next moment we we're the next month we we're, were caring about the Super League announcement. It was it was silly, and it was very. I don't even know how to put it, but I feel the the. I'm happy that it it ended. I'm happy that it was dead in the water in less than three days, and I feel the the fans calling for for Bruce buck to be replaced are overreacting. I don't think buck should be scapegoated. Yes, he's the chairman of the board, but he didn't make that decision by himself, and let's not pretend he did. Roman trusted his judgment, and that's not surprising, seeing as he's the chairman of the board, and Chelsea has made Abramovich a lot of money over the past few years. So I wouldn't be surprised that they trusted him with that kind of thing. And I also want to point out that from the document that was released of the Super League, they proposed for the teams to still be playing in the league, and the Super League was, was, was supposed to be a midweek league. But when the thing was announced as a punishment, they threatened to withdraw them from the the league competitions and international football. And that was triggered the whole thing. And that's probably why many teams began to pull out of it. I don't think what was sold to them was that they would play in the Super League and they wouldn't play league football and they wouldn't play international football. So I think all that was the football governing bodies reacting to the Super League. So technically, what Chelsea pulled out of us was not what they were sold. So I don't think we should, we should really look at it as, oh, uh, Bok just wanted to sell the club out for money and throw the players under the bus, throw the manager under the bus. It was an investment that they saw an opportunity to get things on. Let's not be naive. If a Super League was going to be created and five out of the six richest teams in England are, part, are going to be part of it, Chelsea will be part of it they were going to sign up for it. It's not, it's not something we can, we can come out of. But I think it was, it, it was the right decision they made, ultimately, because when they saw it was going to affect a lot more people than they thought it would, they pulled out instantly. And that, even if they made a mistake in the first place, it showed that they were able to rethink their decision and, and, and pull out of it. I, I think Buck should, should not be scapegoated. Is he has done a good job as the chairman of the board so far. They misjudge the situation, is what I thought. The board, the board misjudged the situation, and, and it happens. The Super League is, is just what football is about nowadays. Greed, money, sponsorship deals, profit. That, that's really what it is. And we can't be really surprised that that's what football has become. It became that since Pogba went for $100 million, since Neymar went for $222 million, That's when football was destroyed, really, not... Not the Super League. Not that the Super League is a good idea. It's a horrible idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and what I wrote about in the article was a little bit more of the implications and the wider reach of the game, but going into the, actually the decision from Chelsea, I think you really summed it up really well there a lot. I don't really have any disagreements that I would have from that. The part that I think is really good that you, you mentioned there is that it was a collective decision. I think that's the one of the most important parts. How about you, Travis? I know you probably have quite a bit to say about the Super League as well. It, it was
2: definitely a very not necessarily out of the blue thing to see on Sunday, but just for it to all come together as quickly as it did, especially you have these 12 clubs that announced it that night after a day of just absolute backlash from everywhere. And you've got, you know, the premier league saying, all right, we'll kick you guys out. You've got, Champions League saying, all right, you'll be banned from the Champions League, and they still announced it at the end of the day. So I don't know if they just completely misinterpreted how much loyalty they really had as these mega clubs or if they just didn't care by the end of that day. Not not individually, but as the collective, that they just didn't care. I mean, all of this really comes down to just, you know, just like this really fundamental reason of, you know, why do we like sports? Why, why do we even care about 22 guys kicking a ball around for 90 minutes halfway around the world? And you know, we can talk about these things like merit and being part of something and just being a collective. But what this came down to was 12 very rich people decided. They didn't want to play the same game anymore. They wanted to play their game where they couldn't lose. And I definitely don't think they expected the backlash to that. I don't think they expected, because we have that in America, right? All our leagues are like the Super League is. It's you know NFL. You can't get relegated. If you're the worst team, you get the number one draft pick.
0: If you're the Jaguars for the past 10 years.
2: Yeah, I mean or the Browns, or whoever's the worst team this year, but it was just basically they wanted to say, like, we are so big as teams. we are just so completely massive that we deserve a seat at the table. But, I mean, imagine Arsenal saying that right now. Imagine Tottenham saying that right now. Like, it's ridiculous the whole idea, the whole concept they had of this Super League working, because what it really was, it was pay-to-play. And what it really was, if you look at you know, the documents, guess you got a bonus $60 million in the first season. The two clubs with the biggest debt, Barcelona and Real Madrid, why, are, why is the rest of the world solving their problem? And I think you bundle all that together and then you look at Chelsea and City and you hear these stories of how they were hesitant. And we're the only club in the green out of the 12. So if we're hesitant, why are we saving Arsenal? from being poorly run. Why are we saving Tottenham from being poorly run? Why are we saving Real Madrid from being poorly run? It made no sense. And obviously I wasn't in the room with Roman or Buck or whoever made this decision, but they definitely didn't make it with the fans interests in heart. And I guess what it comes down to is, you know, who really owns this club? Is it Roman or is it the fans? And I think the fans outside of the Stanford Bridge made the point that it's Roman is a caretaker. What someday Roman's going to be gone, and the fans are still going to be there. He can put whatever he wants to in this club, and he's put a ton into this club. But we cannot forget this moment. You know, you cannot forget that in this moment he said yes to the Super League, just like the other eleven. And I'm not saying Roman has to get out of Chelsea. I'm not even saying buck has to leave, even though personally, that's what I would prefer. But, you know, we have to remember that for all they've given the team, they still tried to kill it. They still tried to do their own thing at the end. And I think that's what's really frustrating me with some of the reactions. Like when that apology, quote-unquote apology, came out. And to me, it was just PR. There wasn't really an apology in it. It was a lot of nice words put together. It was a narrative of their explanation, is what I would say, but it's just things like that. Like we need to keep this momentum. Like the fans outside of Stanford Bridge, I loved that. I watched literally every minute of it. Yeah. That needs to continue. If you don't like what the Champions League is doing, if you think that is you know ruining the merit of the game, push, keep going. You know, outside of Real Madrid. When they come to Stanford Bridge, block that bus just like you did Chelsea Brighton. You know, don't stop now just because the Super League's dead. Because there are other monsters in the closet that we need to deal with now while we can. And I, I hope that momentum keeps going. I
1: really do. I also wanted to mention that I know we're talking about the lesser of the two evils. But I feel the reason these clubs decided to go ahead with the announcement anyway was because they knew FIFA UFR won't make any lasting decisions yet. Because, let's be honest, they know wherever they go, the money will follow them. Unfortunately, that's just the way football works. And even UEFA were reacting to it the way they were reacting to it, not because of their love for the game, but because their own profit was going to be affected. I think the only people who reacted to it genuinely were the fans. UEFA, their own court was, was, was going to go into drastically. So I feel many sections of the football world were reacting differently because of how it was going to affect their pocket. Which is why I feel what you said about the, the protest. I agree with that. The protest should continue because UEFA is not innocent. FIFA is not innocent. Conte mentioned something about UEFA keeping majority of the, of the money for themselves or, or something like that. So I think it's just this club is reacting to how UEFA is treating it. Or that's that's the angle I'm going to take, but I just feel that you ever have painted themselves as as the ones who who made the threat that made the clubs pull out. But at the end of the day, they just wanted their own their own pockets to be protected, and it really is just a money business. And everyone is guilty, and no one is innocent.
0: I think that you said it best. They're the only people that really had a, no financial interest in this were the fans themselves. And I think that for me as a Chelsea fan, and you know. Uh, I don't know if you call a supporter or not because they don't, you know, actually have a financial vest in the team, and seeing tickets or whatever. So that line, I guess it just depends upon how you define that. For me, I think the best thing about it was that the Super League was formed and less than 48 hours afterwards, Chelsea decided we're done, you know, we're out of this. And I think that if you want to look at the history of the club, I do think that this will always be a stain upon the club, whether it was 48 hours or if it ever comes to fruition or not, it will be a stain. I think that when you look at that image of thousands of Chelsea fans screaming and yelling, and Petr Cech trying to calm them down, that's a really iconic image, and it's going to go down in our club's history, no matter which way you want to look at it—whether infamous or famous, whatever. It's going to be remembered for a very long time. And I—I I think that's the the best point about it is that UEFA is not innocent here, right? They know what they're doing, and, and the reform that they did in response to the Super League is. More or less to get the Super League clubs into you into the you know UEFA Champions League competitions without actually having to qualify for it. And if you look at like the coefficient points, Chelsea are lower on that list than many other clubs in Europe. So the, I think this coefficient, you know, well, you really weren't that good, but you've been good the past 25 years. So we'll get you we'll get you a spot in here. That is still against the merit of the game in, in all forms and fashions. I think it still goes against the merit. So I think you guys make really good points there that if if you know you thought hey to the super league, well, there's still a monster. As Travis Tyler said, there's still a monster in the closet. And he just, you know, linked it here right now that had we had the coefficients this season, that it would have been Arsenal and Roma that are in the Champions League. I know they're in the last four of the um uh, of the Europa League, but that's still, again, I mean, Arsenal, the reason why they're in the last four of the Europa League is because they heavily prioritized. That competition over the Premier League. I mean, they are now in 11th. Are they 11th place now? I know they're behind Leeds. I know Leeds overtook them to, with today's result. They're low enough to be more irrelevant than usual. Yeah, exactly. And that's just, and that's not even, they are irrelevant in Europe. And the reason is, is because how many years, when was the last time they even qualified for the Champions League? Was it 2015? Probably when Wenger was there. Or yeah, was it 2015, 2016 when they got second place? Uh, yeah, they got second place behind Leicester's title title winning season. And that's the last time I can remember them being in the Champions League. And that's about it. I, and they've just been sort of irrelevant since. They were bad last year, mid-table club. They're totally a mid-table club this year. And I just don't know if we should continue to give people chances based upon past production. Because that's sort of, uh, in, in a very indirect way, that's nepotism, right? That's just giving uh, you know your friends jobs. In in the real world sense, because of what they've done in the past, maybe if, maybe if they've been bad for a long time, you're still getting the, getting them the job because of other reasons. In in this case, in UEFA's situation, it's mostly all down to finances. So and you know it, it is a really unfortunate thing. It's going to be a stain on us for a long time. But uh, it, it it's great that we did the right thing and pulled out, and we we're the first club to do that. So if there is any little tiniest consolation prize to take away, I guess that's it. So I guess that next like, moves us to what happened quickly after the fans stormed Stamford Bridge and blocked the team bus and had Petr Cech screaming at them to calm down and give it time. And that was the match against Brighton. With all the events going on preceding this match, I did not expect a whole lot out there because as a fan myself, I was really, really distraught. Um, I took the day off work Monday. When I got off my phone, all internet went out you know, in basically 11 mile hike with no cell service the entire time. And it was wonderful, but I can't even imagine being a player, right? Your job, right? What you you're representing your country playing in this league that you've aspired to play in maybe who knows how long and all all of a sudden a unilateral decision that you were not involved in whatsoever is made. And all of that is ripped out underneath you and your whole future is thrown in the air. So that's kind of what I was thinking about Brighton. Now, what happened? I don't know what you guys think about preceding Brighton, but I'll, I'll open that up to you, Travis. By the
2: time the match kicked off, I was we had been rumored to be leaving the Super League, so I was at the point where I was just kind of happy with whatever was going to happen. Because, you know, I had spent two or three days really questioning, like, could I still be a fan of this club after all this? I wasn't too bothered. I was kind of into the whole idea of, Brighton and a 0-0 draw by the end of it, just because, you know, that's what the fans were out there f- fighting for, you know, fighting for the chance to earn it. And the only things to say about the game is when you have a 3-4-3 against a 3-4-3, kind of blank each other. And we saw that again against West Ham. We'll get into that. And late in the match, uh Tuchel did some crazy stuff with uh back four and Reese James at left back. For some reason. But other than that, a game was played. That, that's about it.
0: Yeah. How about you,
2: Olaf?
1: The Brightman was quite dull. Keppa was good, though. Kepa was very good. I like that when he has gotten his opportunities, he has kept a clean sheet. He has done the safe thing. He hasn't been adventurous. He has kept his confidence up because the more he keeps his clean sheet, the more his confidence is boosted. I wasn't. He's not suited to play as a, as a CM in this system because he played CM for England and he played CL in a 4 But those are different roles because, actually, for England, last before, he plays against San Marino and the, the main field battle there is, is non-existent. So he can thrive in that kind of situation. Brighton impressed us. We knew they would anyway. They been pressing everyone all season. And Mount just wasn't prepared for it. I think if he gets another goal, then he'll probably do better. Then again, he might not. He's not a holding midfielder. He's a midfielder that runs forward. He's more of an attacking midfielder than a, than a holding midfielder. But that's fine. It was, it was not a role he's used to, so I'm not going to hold that against him. Uh, Zuma was having the perfect game until he, he dribbled his way into trouble. Other than that, it was, it was a new, new match. It wasn't an exciting new, new where there were a lot of saves, chances created. And really, the, the players are distracted. The players are distracted. I mean, they were preparing for their match. Super League news broke out. They couldn't go to the stadium. The match had to be delayed. Even Tukul admitted he didn't arrive at the match with, in the right frame of mind. I can only imagine how that would affect the players. I mean, he has been coaching for, for close to 20 years and he too was destabilized by that too. So I wouldn't really hold that against him. We didn't lose, so we'll, we'll take that as a positive.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of how I felt too, um, is that there's really not a whole lot to break down and analyze from that match. It was a really dead match overall. Um, It was just 90 minutes of kicking the ball around and not much else going on. Kepa made some good saves. Offensively, we had absolutely nothing. There was zero cohesion whatsoever in the midfield. There's no control. There was no link between the midfield and the attack. It, It was really tough to watch. But Honestly, I didn't even really care about the result because of what was going on and just the decision to withdraw from from ESL just prior to the match. I think that was the major victory, both uh, for the club, morally for the fans, everything. I think that was really just the, the major talking point there. When we did see that, they, you know, they immediately responded and... You know, they they got over this uh, quickly, right? They were able to refocus. And, and even Tugel mentioned himself after the match against Brighton that it did what was going on with all the events at ESL did impact his ability to be completely focused on the match. And, and he was not really where he normally would expect himself to be on the touchline in, in terms of his mindset and his mentality and his focus. And I, so I think that's the, that's the thing here is the club, you know, they did act unilaterally and it, they didn't even consider the impacts of When this announcement was made, it was such a crucial time of the season. Thankfully, though, we didn't lose, still got a point, and we went from fifth to fourth after Brighton. And then we had the giant match against West Ham. It's kind of weird to say that. For top four implications, really the winner of that match was going to firmly control their own fate as far as finishing in the top four. Chelsea went in and had quite a lot of changes, um, more than I would have imagined. To be honest, uh, especially as Colopeta playing at right wing back. And then how the wing backs were used is something we can talk about as well. Those were, it was a little uncharacteristic to see them overlapping centrally as opposed to out wide uh, with the attacking forwards. Chelsea got the 1 0 win. So I will start with you, Ola. What did you think about the match against West Ham?
1: I thought there was no cohesion in the attack in the final. So it felt a like the Sheffield United West Ham game, FA Cup game. It shot a lot like that. We were running into the final third and then trying to figure out what our plan was. We were not coordinated. It looked like a very young attack. When, when they matured, those things would, would definitely be better. But it looked like a very young attack. There was no coordination to our attack. We're just running into the final third And we're getting into the final third easily and not doing enough with it. I would like to say Purpose came into our attack when the edge came in, but really, the game really opened up with the red card. I feel the goal we scored was good positioning by, by Werner and it was good thinking by Chiwell, but two Western players should not be stretching their foot out and missing that, really. it mm-hmm. passed right between them. And on any other day with competent awareness, should I say, that goal is not scored. But we're not going to, to hang on to that. It was, it was our only goal scoring opportunity in the match. And we were not our only goal scoring opportunity. We had others, but that was our best one. And we capitalized, which was good. Silver was very good. He was consistent. He kept his head. Mount was also very good. And they went against West Ham, did a double over then. They did a double over last season. We did a double over then this season. And we're probably going to play Champions League football while they wouldn't. So our own is better. How
0: about you, Travis? What do you have to build out from that?
1: Well, kind of
2: like I was saying with Bryden, when 3-4-3 is against a 3-4-3, it just tends to cancel itself because the whole point of playing three of the back in any fashion is the overloads it lets you create, which all pretty much go away when you're facing the same formation. So I kind of was expecting that just because that's how West Ham have been deploying most effectively so far this season. And when that happens, you're basically bringing the game down to – 1v1s, and just individual moments of brilliance. We're not really a team that's overflowing with those, but you know Mason Mount did really well. And we were able to create a few cutbacks into the box to Pulisic, which not really do the, who you want in the box. So when Chilwell was able to get his pass through the defense, and I, Timo was where he needed to be, finally. And he put it in the back of the net. Finally. And I'm really happy for him. And then he had that misleap. I I tweeted out on Twitter about in ten years, English teachers are gonna use Timo Werner to teach duality of man. You know, he can he can be exactly where you want him to put it in the back of the net. And then he could just completely fluff a chance right in front of goal. So yeah, I mean it was another one of those kind of games, but Unlike Brighton, this one, we had a little more individual ability, and that made the difference, I think. We had a little bit of a tactical tweak in the second half. I kind of think we went into a 3-5-2, either because Mount dropped deeper or he was out of gas. I don't really know. But that seemed to help. And like Ola said, the red card is what really killed it. I don't think it was a red card. I think that was kind of silly, but it finished the game in the way we wanted.
0: Yeah. I wanted to talk about Timo Werner a little bit more. Um, Cause I think that, you know, the the miss was bad. Like let's not try to downplay it. It was a really poor miss, but at the same time, if you take that one miss out of his game, like let's just pretend that never happened. It never ricocheted off the crossbar. And he was there to even be in that position. I mean, otherwise I felt he was man of the match besides that one miss. I understand that, you know, he's going to be evaluated in full context, which is part of that miss, but I mean, the goal that he did score, right, he did, he got the ball around the halfway line, had a really good control and flick over, uh, and then retained the ball, laid it off, used, like, you know, a really good movement and vision with how the, the play was progressing, and then, you know, was right there, right time, right place, gave the keeper no chance to save that. I think there's a lot of his game that I saw yesterday that gives me hope that he's going to get firing now at the right time of the season and the right time for him personally to finish this season with momentum heading into next year. But I've seen a lot of harsh criticism is what I'm just going to say from that miss. You know, I've seen that. I mean, I've literally seen people, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too on Twitter, right? We, we A lot of us are in the same circles that, you know, it's time to sell Timo because he missed that chance. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, if you're going to define this match by the miss, then it's a, literally the definition of a narrative at that point, because you're ignoring all of the other positives and focusing on this one negative. the guy literally made the difference in the match. The only difference that was made was through Timo Werner. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. Do you think he was maybe dug out a little too much because of that one miss? Yeah, I'll I'll just say real quick,
2: the stuff I'll say about Timo is going to be similar to what I'm going to say about Morata in the past. If we win a game 1-0 and Timo Werner is the only goal, I don't really care about his misses. I mean, it happened. We can talk about it. But if we won 1-0 and it was his goal, that's that. You know, we did the same thing with Murata. in his last game. He scored two, and people only wanted to talk about the two misses. Well, we
1: won 2-0. So, you know, what did you really want to happen? I agree with you. I don't, I don't care about his miss. This, this is what I keep saying. The last time I said that, I mentioned this to someone on Twitter. The person said it was slander to, on, on Lewandowski. I told the person that Lewandowski missed more big chances than Werner last season and has missed more big chances than Werner this season. And the person thought I was trying to. It 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 just shows that Lewandowski takes so many shots, they create so many chances for him that he can miss as many as he misses and still score as many as he does. So I'm not bothered about Vernon's misses if he's scoring the goals. I mean, we won one-nil. Uh, okay, let, let's look at the, the FA Cup semi-final. Z H scored, then missed that chance. We won the game one nil uh, in the final. And someone said they would have Given Zaire's man of the match, if he hadn't had that miss, if he hadn't scored the goal, we wouldn't have won the match. So I, I don't know how what they expect him to do. I'd mentioned before that his misses are are yet to really cost us in a big way, and I hope that they never comes. We should think it, but I hope that they never comes. I don't think we should judge the match against West Ham by his miss. He did many things right in that game. Besides that loss, who were some of your other standout players? I'll go with Jorginho. I mentioned Silver and Mount. I, I like what I saw from Jorginho a lot. He was he was operating, he was defending in the box a lot, and that's really what you want from your defensive midfielder.
0: How about you, Travis?
2: I'd say Chilwell, just because of how often he was get able to get crosses in and be free out wide. Very quietly, he's kind of kicked Marcos Alonso back out of the starting XI. So I'm I'm all for that. Good for Chilwell.
0: Yeah. I think some of my standouts were definitely besides Werner. It was, it were, you know, I would choose probably Mount Silva and Chilwell. I think those were my three other big standout players. But I think really everybody had a strong game. I, I didn't really look at anybody and think, Oh, they were terrible. Even as book, but to right wing back, I thought did. Okay. I didn't think he was bad. So looking forward to Real Madrid, he just got the notification that Kovacic is out. Uh, he will not be playing in that match But that. That could be a big blow for us, but that, kind of remains to be seen. I still think Conte and Jorginho can hold down the fort, but how do you feel about going into this match? Do you think that, you know, do you still have confidence that we can pull out the results or maybe get a, you know, a, a non-goal withdrawal in this
1: match? We've considered a lot less chances than Real Madrid this season and a lot less goals. So we, we need to watch out for the balls in over the top because that's their best source of creativity against us. We will play three at the back and we will try to contain them. That's their best source. And it's a very good source for them because Cruz is a madness of a passer. So once we can withstand all that, I think we'll be fine.
2: I think we have a much better chance now that we've killed the Super League and Perez is going to be all upset and throwing his toys out. And I mean, I kind of said the same thing with West Ham and Brighton that they would turn up against us because we were one of the bad guys. But Real Madrid's going to have that against us and vice versa now, too. So let's use that. And Go shock them. Like I said, have Paris throw his toys out because that's been pretty funny to watch on Spanish radio late at night.
0: Yeah, he is really kind of making a big deal out of this and saying a lot of blasphemous stuff that's just totally untrue. But I think that when you look at it, you know, I don't want to say that I'm overly confident, but because the Spanish media is painting us as this underdog that probably shouldn't be here, or whatever, and that's what they always do. They always, you know, big up their own teams and try to play down everybody else and make up make up stuff. Marcia is essentially the Madrid mouthpiece. But Tuchel now has managed 21, if I'm not mistaken, it's 21 matches total with 16 clean sheets. I think what all I'm going to say is good luck, Real Madrid, good luck scoring because nobody really does it. And that's true of almost all of the best offenses and many elite managers have now failed to break down Tuchel's Chelsea. So I actually will say that I am cautiously optimistic that we are going to get the win here. (laughs) Travis is saying only Big Sam is elite enough to destroy us (laughs) it's very true the only team we can't defeat this season is uh, West Brom's relegation fodder squad so with that it concludes another episode of the Balance the Blues Brothers podcast we hope to be coming back to you for the next recording after a giant win at Real Madrid and defeating the evil Empire themselves that Florentino Perez commands and has commanded for a while so for all the listeners out there until next time keep the blue flag flying high